Chapter 74 The Covered One Mudathir In the name of God, the Most Compassionate, the Most Merciful. O you, Muhammad, covered up in your cloak. This chapter's title, Mudathir, is obtained from its first verse and describes a person who has wrapped himself in a garment. Hadith reports relate that its first seven verses were revealed after chapter 96, the clinging form, al-alaq. The Quran inaugurating verses and thus are considered the second group of verses revealed to the Prophet. Upon receiving the initial revelation, the terrified and distressed Prophet hurriedly leaves the cave of Hira and runs home to his affectionate wife Khadija, who wraps him up, calms him down, and assures him that God would not permit such a pure, trustworthy and truthful person to be possessed by jinn. Arise and Warn The Prophet is instructed to arise and warn his people that their chosen lifestyle of idol worshipping and blissful ignorance of the truth will result in dire consequences. Similar to air raid sirens that warn people of imminent danger, warnings are usually issued to alert people of a looming danger rather than to scare them. And magnify your Lord. Glorify your Lord, not God, Allah, who is the administrator, manager, and absolute authority of the world and comprehend his lordship, majesty, and infinite power. Purify your garments. This literal interpretation is plausible, for desert dwellers had little access to water and seldom wore clean clothing. However, at a deeper level, garments could refer to a person's character. Therefore, Purify your garments may be understood figuratively as keeping away from vices. Keep away from all pollution. Rujs, pollution or filth, encompasses all apparent and hidden aspects of defilement, and hajara means to renounce or dissociate oneself from something by moving away from it. Thus, the Prophet is being told to avoid all types of internal and external unethical and immoral conduct. And do not do a favor expecting more in return. Tastekthiru denotes the tendency to presume a thing as being too much or excessive. We tend to go out of our way to remind those who benefit from our good deeds to ensure that they realize and never forget who solved their problems. In reality, everything emanates from God, the one who grants us the blessing of being able to perform virtuous deeds. And be steadfast and patient in your Lord's cause. While it could have been very challenging for the Prophet to carry out this imperative, as cited in historical accounts, 
he exemplified enormous patience in the face of great enmity, torment, and vengeance. Of course, those who rise up and are determined to cleanse their society from misbelief and superstition must exhibit resilience and steadfastness in the face of stiff opposition and rancor. The next three verses, each consisting of three words, were revealed during the second year of his mission. When the trumpet is blown, nakara means to intensely beat or strike something. In addition, nakur, trumpet, is used allegorically to announce the dreadful sound similar to that made by the Big Bang, which will proclaim this world's end, the advent of the resurrection, and the beginning of a new life. Fully conveying this message to that era's non-literate Macans could only have been achieved through metaphorical language. That day will be a day of anguish. Due to verses 9 and 10, which point to this dreadful future, the Prophet is instructed to warn his people to take these words seriously, pay attention to their future, and reflect on how their daily deeds shape their destiny. Not an easy day for the disbelievers. A kafir is one who deliberately conceals the truth and, as a result, cannot bear that day and the ensuing terrifying explosion. Leave me alone to deal with him, Walid, whom I created alone. The discourse now shifts its focus to a particular person who had rejected these truths. Arab life was infused with poetry, drinking, and raiding neighboring tribes. Their comprehension, feelings, and perception were entwined with poetry. Al-Walid ibn al-Mughira, one of the Prophet's contemporaries, was a famous Meccan Qurayshi noble who was well-versed in analyzing poetry. The Meccan polytheists, therefore, asked this prominent, powerful, and wealthy pillar of the community what he thought of the Prophet. After reflecting, considering, and evaluating the verses, he stated, Muhammad utters words taught to him by the sorcerers who have obtained them from some source, thereby asserting that the Quran is an effective kind of evil magic. These following verses analyze this expert opinion. The metaphor, leave me alone to deal with him, should not be misconstrued as God being pressured by the Prophet's desire that he be allowed to deal with Walid directly. Some exegetes opine that Wahida is the adjective which once again emphasizes that his affairs are only my concern. Then granted him abundant wealth. Mamdud, abundant and prolonged, is derived from the root ma da da to extend midad pencil 
is derived from the same root to signify that one can use it to trace an extended impression on a piece of paper. Sons by his side Sons held such a prominent position in the lawless Arab society that their numbers were directly correlated with a family's power. More sons guaranteed a privileged societal standing. Having sons by his side refers to power readily available at one's behest and made life easy for him. Mahattu is derived from the root ma-ha-da to smoothen, similar to a rocking cradle, mahd, that lulls an infant to sleep peacefully. Earth is sometimes compared to a cradle for humanity because it gently spins around its axis and revolves around the sun. In addition, it is where humans rest. Yet he desires that I give more. He desires more, even though he has already been showered with God's blessings. No, he has been stubbornly resisting our signs. Our signs refers to the Prophet and the verses revealed to him. Soon I will overburden him with a steep ascent. The particle sa is employed to indicate that the event will occur quickly. Irhaq suggests enclosing something or gaining dominance and supremacy over someone or something. The employed metaphor asserts that he will soon be burdened with a steep ascent, hardship because he has been acting without restraint. He reflected and then evaluated. He compared our signs with humans' words and, after reflecting and deliberating, decided that they are the utterances of sorcerers. May he perish for how he evaluated. Of course, this interpretation of the passive verb qutila is contingent upon interpreting it in a rhetorical sense. However, it also means to stop or to dilute, as in diluting wine with water to reduce its alcohol content. Qutila al-khamr. In that case, the phrase could be interpreted as May God stop Walid's opposition. Then, may he perish for how he evaluated. This idiom is repeated twice for emphasis. Look at how he evaluates. What kind of evaluation is this? Then he considered. And frowned and scowled. Turned his back in arrogance and said, This is nothing but imitated magic. Eventually, he said that these words, although inherited from ancient magicians, were effective, attractive, and deceitful. This is nothing but the word of a human being. He found no value in our signs, as he viewed them as no more than mere human words. Soon I will cast him into saqar, 
Sakar means burning. In Arabia's hot climate, anything such as food would be burnt to a crisp and spoiled if left outside. In other words, those who oppose the truth have lost the game of life. Their turn is burned and, consequently, will suffer a dire outcome. What will make you understand what is saqar? In the Quran, the formula, what will make you understand, always signifies complex subjects beyond a person's limited comprehension and intellect. It often refers to the hereafter and other creations. Humanity does not possess necessary preliminary information to fathom such an extremely complex phenomenon of saqar. Even the Prophet could not comprehend its nature. This highlights our erroneous supposition concerning hell as the abode wherein a huge pile of wood is set ablaze. It spares none and leaves nothing behind. Worldly fires die down after they burn an object completely, and those exposed to it may be able to run away and save themselves. But what kind of fire is saqar, which neither relinquishes nor leaves anything behind? What kind of fire has such characteristics? Does this not sound like the recurring distressed state of depression? The implication is that when engulfed by this tortuous condition, there is no ending to the associated suffering that afflicts the inner self because it seethes from within. It scorches the skin, bashar, of humans. Lawaha, scorching, is derived from the root la wa ha means to scorch to appear or become visible alwah which is also derived from the same root is repeated four times in the quran three times it refers to the tablets given to moses upon which the torah's verses had been inscribed and once relating to the planks used to build Noah's Ark. Bashar, repeated 37 times, refers to humans because they are covered with bashara, skin, as opposed to some animals that are covered with wool. Over it are 19. This is the only verse in which the number 19 is referenced, but without any elaboration or specification. Since prior verses discuss the torment of hell, the exegetes infer that it enumerates the angels who are the keepers of hell. The Egyptian researcher Rashad Khalifa, who discovered that this number functions as the Quran's mathematical code, offers a different interpretation. Here, the number 19 is congruent with the above-mentioned mathematical code as opposed to the number of angels. Based on this discovery, they have interpreted the previous verse, that which will transform and bring about a change in the perspective of humanity.
it may be plausible to conclude that Lawaha, in the last verse, views both worlds. It refers to the transformation of humans' perspective in this world, but to their skin's alteration, scorching in the hereafter. God knows best. Wallahu a'lam. We have appointed none but the angels as guardians of the hellfire. Although the angels' nature is unknown to humans, in simple terms and perhaps with some liberty, it can be said that both they and shaitan, each referenced 68 times in the Quran, point to the positive and negative energies in the world as they relate to humans. It appears that this verse discusses the negative energies that afflict those who have gone astray. And we have made their numbers a test for the disbelievers. Arousing their sense of curiosity, people will have various reactions to the number 19, four of which are So that those who are given the scripture, Jews and Christians, may reach certainty. The first goal or ultimate purpose of discussing this issue is from the perspective of the Jews and Christians who will ascertain the truth of these verses. Moreover, this code will enable them to understand the Quran's revelatory nature. This is a significant foretelling. And the believers, the Muslims' faith, will increase. The believers, namely, those who believe in this book, will find their faith augmented when they become aware of this verse's truth. So that neither the people of the book nor the believers will fall into doubt. They will no longer doubt these verses' divine and revelatory nature. And that those in whose hearts there is a disease, as well as the disbelievers, will ask, What does God mean by giving this as an example? Those who have a disease in their hearts, the hypocrites, and those who hide and disregard the truth for their personal gain, the disbelievers, and, out of contempt and denial, will ask, What does God intend by the number 19? Therefore, when facing the truth, people take different positions. Thus does God let whomsoever He pleases to go astray, and guides whomsoever He pleases. God neither guides nor leads people astray without reason. However, all of the world's laws and orders are under His purview, and He has determined that those who deny His verses, signs, will go astray. Being the ultimate and efficient causal agent of all worldly phenomena, both guidance and going astray are ascribed to God. None knows the forces of your Lord except He. This is only a reminder to humanity. 
given that humans are afflicted with forgetfulness, these verses serve as a reminder. No, by the moon. The Quran's purpose in asserting oaths is to alert humans to the significance of various natural phenomenons. And the receding night. The oath is taken to the night's final momenter, the early morning, when night is receding. Most Quranic oaths relate to the various times of the day and night, the early evening, midnight, late night, the beginning of the day, midday, and the afternoon. And by the morning as it glows. Asfar, derived from the root sa fa ra, means to shine, brighten, and unveil. Oaths begin with the moon, for it only shines during the night's darkness and is followed by morning, which gradually removes the night's veil of darkness. Likewise, God brightens a society with the light of truth by removing the veil of ignorance from it. The Quran and the Prophet's tradition were like the moon, for they cast light during the dark night of the Jahiliyyah. With the passage of time and the discovery of scientific truths, the world becomes brighter and more illuminated until the sun rises, morning dawns, and hidden truths become manifest. What conclusion can we draw from this? Indeed, it is one of the greatest signs. A few exegetes opine that indeed it refers to the number 19, the mathematical code of the Quran, whereas the majority believe it refers to the hereafter, this chapter's main theme. A warning to humanity. Whom does this warning address? To any one of you who wishes to go forward or lag behind. These words are meaningless to those who refuse to be guided, which implies that guidance or going astray is solely one's choice. The next verse indicates how humans determine their own destiny. Every soul is held in pledge for its deeds. Only through faith and performing virtuous deeds can one's real character be discovered. Like first graders who begin school with a relatively clean slate and whose aptitude gradually flourishes as knowledge takes root in their mind, humans can increase in spiritual excellence and actualize this potentiality by engaging in benevolent deeds. Except for the companions of the right. Truth infuses in and objectifies the character of those who choose it as their companion and live by its ethos. Having mastered their anger, lust, greed, and other base and unjust inclinations, and after living by the principles of truth, the companions of the right can no longer be influenced by these negative tendencies. Who will be in the gardens, asking one another?
in response to the garden dweller's inquiries. About the guilty In Quranic terminology, mujrim, to cut, describes those who have cut their relationship with God and His just order. Who led you to saqar? Mujrimin are akin to plants. Those are withering away due to their severed relationship with soil, water, air, and light. About the destiny of the mujrimin led to saqar, four reasons are enumerated on their behalf. They will say, we were not among the musallin. Given that a majority of Muslims perform the daily ritual prayers and that this verse addresses all members of humanity, musallin should be understood in its lexical context of turning toward God, instead of its literal translation as those who pray. They never went toward God, having freely chosen to ignore Him, despite His being the one who both created and established the world's order. In other words, they succumbed to their caprice and focused on personal gain. Did not feed the poor Those who feel nothing for the poor, who are bereft of humanity or compassion, who are oblivious to the pain and suffering of others, deserve to dwell in the saqar. Indeed, such people have severed their relationship with both God and His creatures. Engaged in vain discourse, we plunged with those who do the same. We plunged with those who plunged implies engaging in futile disputes. Similar to ostriches that bury their heads in the sand, these people drowned themselves in their affairs and focused their attention on frivolities. It never occurred to them that they should reflect on what was happening in their community or what challenges and hardships others were facing. Similar to hermits, they had abandoned their responsibilities toward the community and obligations to others, and denied the Day of Judgment. The disbelievers in Deen, Recompense, viewed the Day of Judgment as a fallacy. Deen also means religion, because the adherents of any religion are recompensed according to its rules. Not believing that humanity would be held accountable for its actions, they were guilty of abandoning their belief in the hereafter. Until certainty came upon us. They remained in this state until certainty, here implying death, since it can never be doubted, came upon them. This is the moment when all veils are lifted and humans become certain of it. The conclusion drawn from these confessions requires attention and deliberation. Thus, the intercession of the intercessors will be of no benefit to them. Thus, 
implies that action will immediately follow as a consequence. This verse, among others, validates the acceptance of intercession. Shafa'a, from the root, shafa, meaning to join. But what does Quranic intercession connote? To substantiate the validity of intercession, some people resort to similar verses, claiming that the intercession of the Prophet and the Imams will save sinners from the torments in the hereafter, no matter how enormous their sins may be. However, this verse is actually about the mujrimin, sinners, who had cut their ties with the intercessors, God, people, and good deeds. They will be deprived of his intercession, and the intercession of others will not benefit them because they had cut their ties with them. Also, having disavowed the hereafter, they accumulated no benevolent deeds to intercede for them. They will be like plants detached from water, light, air, and soil, all of which could have otherwise interceded on their behalf. What is the matter with them that they turn away from the reminder? What causes humans to ignore these warnings, given that they face such dire dangers and that their destiny is linked to their worldly deeds? As if they were frightened donkeys. These mujrimin run away from God's beneficial and protective words as if frightened by them. Fleeing from a lion, their reaction resembles that of a wild ass who, upon encountering lions or any aggressive, powerful and dominant being, tries to flee. Rather, each of them desires that a scripture be sent down to him and unrolled before his very eyes. They are so exceedingly selfish and self-conceited that they would only accept the Quran if it were revealed to them personally. They wish that God would speak to them directly and consider it beneath their dignity to accept the truth spoken by anyone else. No, truly, they do not fear the hereafter. Those who do not care about their future plight have a similar mindset to that of students who do not worry about their final exams and thus find no compelling reason to study for them. But surely this is a reminder. The Quran is a reminder and warner that awaken people from the sleep of ignorance. So, let whoever wishes to take heed do so. Unlike pills that cure ailments, regardless of whether the patient is aware of their effects or lack thereof, God's words leave inedible marks only on receptive hearts. These reminders are for people who are inclined to take them seriously and arise from the sleep of ignorance. They will only take heed if God so wishes. He is most worthy of providing protection 
or reverence and most worthy of granting forgiveness. Whatever occurs in the world falls within God's will. Humanity's will is not absolute, for people's behavior is both circumscribed by their God-given intelligence, comprehension, and understanding, as well as subject to the available resources. It is within the framework of God's will that humans understand, gain awareness, and turn toward Him. He granted us eyes, ears, and the ability to discern, and it is through His will that we gain awareness. This chapter's major concern is to warn people about the dire consequences of their misdeeds. It can be that God wants to save humanity from going astray and wasting its life, but that bliss can only be actualized if people desire it. The principal purpose of this worldly school is to cleanse humans of their vices, arrogance, and illusions. The chapter concludes by reminding its readers of Maghfira, forgiveness, for God is also the most worthy of granting forgiveness. His will is to cleanse, forgive, and protect people from the consequences of their misdeeds. But only if humans voluntarily aspire to attain that status.